the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today is the National Day of Prayer. Why is that important? And then we take some time around the social media water cooler. The latest COVID updates, some news from churches around the world, and later, what are people searching for today? You're listening to The Common Good. Friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, it's an important day for two reasons, Aubrey. I will go with what we should say is the most important on the second one here, but happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo to you. It's yes. a fun holiday. Is it? I think yeah. it is. Yeah, well, you know, we over here in West Chicago, we have a primarily Hispanic neighborhood. And so tonight, I'm not even joking, bands will be out in people's backyards tonight. Oh, we will hear great music. Yeah, it's very. And because it's Mother's Day, like for the Mexican people, is a really big holiday. So all weekend, it's going to be parties in our neighborhood. So it's very fun. Yes. I should know this, but what does Cinco de Mayo actually celebrate? I think it's Mexican independence. So it's 4th of July. but Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, happy single to my in my town of Downers Grove. It will not be the same as my guess. But you could go to a Mexican restaurant and enjoy a enjoy a taco or something fun like that. Sure. Okay. Okay. But secondly, and I don't know if you were aware of this, Aubrey. Today is the National Day of Prayer. Uh, it is a day set apart by Congress, asking people in our country to pray. And this goes back many years. Were you aware that this is the National Day of Prayer? And more importantly, why is it important? Why why do we do this? I knew it was Cinco de Mayo. I did not know it was the National Day of Prayer. So that tells you where my priorities are, apparently. But (laughs) um, why is it important that we do? I mean, you know, we're called to as a nation humble ourselves before God. And so I think that idea of like communally coming together and even our leaders coming together in prayer, um, you know, whether or not you have problems with what people think or not think, why wouldn't we come before God communally and ask for right. God's mercy and grace? I think it's great. So the National Day of Prayer uh, falls every year by by presidential proclamation and designation on the first Thursday in May. Uh, asking the people of the United States to turn to God in prayer and meditation at churches, in groups, and as individuals. So like you said, it is a day to pray for our nation. And Aubrey, like you said, we argue a lot about our nation. There's a lot of discord at the moment um, over all sorts of things. Uh, But fundamentally, as Christians, we are called to pray for our nation and what, what, regardless of what you think of your leaders, your president and your congressman, whatever else, congresswomen, you are called to pray for them. Like That's that right. is a biblical uh, call on us. Yeah. And so I do think uh, we need to encourage people out there to be praying today for the country 
and to be praying specifically for the leaders of our country and the future of our country. Yep, that's good, Brian. That's a good yeah. word for all of us. Yep, even if you, and I think you said it, but I'm just going to repeat it. Even if you're not fans, we are still called biblically to pray. So I think that's there a good go. word for all of us. Yep, so happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy National Day of Prayer. Uh, happy day after my birthday. Always a kind of an anticlimactic day in your life, right? Like it's like the day after yeah. Christmas. You're like, eh, okay. But I know, like that happened. Okay, I guess it's over now. Unless it's a week long celebration, like which you is what observe. I do. Yes, because yes. I don't like that anticlimactic feeling. So I needed to keep going. <laughs> keep going. Eventually... It's still. It's really still my birthday today. Say, actually, at <laughs> some point it's going to end. <laughs> at some point. Well, we just mentioned the Discord and the um, the raised tension of our country right now. And I would say, Aubrey, it's leading all the news shows. It is still about that leak uh, from the Supreme Court that seems to indicate that there is at least a possibility coming here in the coming weeks or months that Roe versus Wade will be overturned. Um, Pretty fair to say, wouldn't you say, that it feels like the temperature of our country has been turned really hot right now. It's hot. Definitely, if you're looking online, it has. And even like Kevin has a group of pastor buddies that are, you know, they meet together consistently for accountability. They're all texting each other like, are we supposed to say anything about Roe v. Wade? Do we do like what? Do we publish something online? Like what? So, yes, the temperature is hot. That's a good way to put it. It is. It is fire right now and not in the good way. Where are they landing on that? I'm very curious. Will will something be said? What what do you think you guys will do? Uh, So most people are saying no because – you know, until there's actually a decision, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. sort of like I, I, you know, I did. Kevin asked me what I thought, and I was like, I something Brian and I said on the show yesterday is like, I think ultimately this is not our moment to be like, woohoo! This yeah. is our moment to care for women who have had abortions or have been abortion minded. So let's do mm-hmm. that. And then if there's some news to celebrate later, maybe we can talk about that. But we, you know, we've never really. It's like unless that's been a thing at your church to constantly be talking about Roe v. Wade at the Supreme Court, I don't know that why you necessarily would right. on this Sunday because of this leak. Like you, I think you and if you want to talk about it in your own personal social media, that's a different conversation than from the pulpit. So we, everyone, sort of said, I don't know, probably not. I don't think so. That's how right. it landed. I don't know. What do you think about that, Brian? I tend to agree with that. I'm not yeah. big on just taking time to talk about. Um, the the national issue of the day yeah. from the public. Yeah. To be honest with you, the times that I have kind of extemporaneously just kind of start talking are yeah. the times I've gotten myself most in trouble. <laughs> <with> <laughs> I do think if and when a ruling comes down, uh, yeah. I think it's worthy of spending time talking about. But Definitely. like you said, uh, there are people out there who think this leak is out there in order to um, to give cover for people to not overturn. Right, who, so right. who knows how this is right, going to play out? Right. But with all of that in mind, and if you've been around this show at all, you know kind of where Aubrey and I land on the topic of abortion, kind of a hill to die on for us. This is uh, we as Christians being called to protect the most vulnerable and babies, unborn babies are certainly that. It has been a really, I don't know if you have felt this way, on social media, uh, it, this uh, the last week or so has been a really eye opening experience for me, not to know all the people in my life who are pro-choice, but to see their reasoning 
and to see mm. their what they're saying right now as kind of you're going, oh, this is a window into your soul. Yeah. And, and I want to read a tweet that has gotten a lot of pushback or a lot of sharing <clears throat> from uh, Kirsten Powers. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling author, USA Today co- uh, columnist, CNN senior political analyst. She used to work for one of the major Christian publications, and I should know which one, but I oh, don't. Oh, wow. Okay. So she wrote this. If you think abortion is wrong, don't get an abortion. It's not okay to impose your religious view on others. Why should a Jew or Muslim have to live uh, up to your interpretation of the Bible? If you don't get this, please don't ever use the phrase religious freedom again. So she's saying, I don't really care what you believe. If you don't believe in abortion, don't get an abortion. And a lot of people are poking holes at this line of reasoning. But I've also the reason I want to bring it up, Aubrey, is because I do think we have to know what people are thinking. And I've seen this line of reasoning a ton from people. Hey, if yeah. you don't think abortion's right, don't get an abortion, but don't tell me not to. Right, How do right. you respond to that when maybe a friend or someone on social media says that to you? Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, right, because the, her whole problem is she thinks you're imposing your religious views on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, gosh, I mean, I you know, I guess, I guess what's problematic about this Brian is you and I here on the radio show standing against abortion and saying that we are pro-life here's why here's what our belief is we're not necessarily saying everyone has to agree with us so Mm -hmm. I don't think expressing your religious views is the same thing as imposing your religious views Mm. And the other side gets to say what they feel about this. So I'm not sure why we can't. But I also think this is the other part. And and this is where I think we this is where the world just totally disagrees with Christianity on this or those who are pro choice disagree with Christianity on this. We don't necessarily even think of it as strictly a religious view, but Mm -mm. as like a moral choice. Right. Like. And and it's not just because we're Christians, although certainly that's part of it, but it's also because we believe in the value and sanctity of life morally. Mm-hmm. And so um, and that we want to be part of a society that protects us most vulnerable. What, that's how I mean, you know, call me naive, but that's how I would feel if I was a Christian or not a Christian. Now, certainly right. my faith uh uh, influences my pro-life stance pretty significantly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I mean, I guess maybe it, it just feels like a little bit um, myopic to say that you're imposing your religious views on others when really you're just standing against something you think is wrong. Yeah. and I don't know. I, what do you think, Brian? No, I think you put that really well. And what else I would say is uh, we don't do that with anything else that her just take her first line mm-hmm. where she says, if you think abortion is wrong, don't get an abortion. That sounds sensical like that sounds like, oh, that's wise. But it doesn't hold up to anything we do. It. If yeah. you, you want to wear a seatbelt, go ahead. Don't tell me to wear a seatbelt. You right. know who else? I'll bet you she was very pro-vaccine because I've read some of her stuff. We yeah. never, she was not okay saying, if you want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine, right. but don't tell me what to do. Right. To be really over the top about it. If you don't want, if you if you think murder is wrong, don't murder somebody, but don't tell me yeah. what to do. Like we yeah. don't, 
that's not how we use. But I, I also think you make a very important point, and that's this. This is not a religious thing. This may yeah. have religious uh, yeah. foundations for us here, but this is a moral thing about right. the sanctity of life that you said, about protecting the most vulnerable and people on the pro-choice side here that I see on Twitter seem to be like, quit waving your religious flag. And I'm like, that's not what I'm doing right now. Yeah, like, it yeah. might be what a lot of people of Christian belief believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, it, it, this tweet struck me because there's all these people like, amen, that makes so much sense. And you're like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> it right. actually doesn't. Right. Right. But, I, but, go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, but this is the reasoning that is being used mm-hmm. by a lot of people to be like, don't do this to us. Get away from us. Give us our bodily autonomy. And we're right. like, we just want to save some babies here yeah. and, and yeah. celebrate it. So, right. all right. Well, that's where we're at right now on this National Day of Prayer. Mm-hmm. I think that this is the top of the list, what we need to be praying for. I talked about some heavy stuff so far, so let's lighten the mood a little okay, bit. Okay, let's do it. And make a run to the social media water cooler. Would you explain... What we're talking about when we say the social media water cooler. Yes. So the social media water cooler is where we post a question on social media. That's just something fun, something to get a conversation going. And, uh, you know, you share your answers with us and then we share them on air. We got the concept from, you know, the old water cooler at the office where people would go hang out in the morning and talk about, or the afternoon and talk about the sports they watched or the, the big <laughs> event on Grey's Anatomy or what relationships are happening in the office. So this is our online version of the office water cooler and this week we talked about first jobs yeah so this came up first of all i've never worked in a place with a water cooler i want to do that once in my life where like i mean we have water coolers at the church here but i'd be standing by them like by myself like somewhere where people actually gather we have a water cooler at our (laughs) church office too but you're right no one ever goes and hangs out there which is sad you should just stand there for like an hour just be watching people i'm here i'm here i'm at the water cooler hey i'm waiting Uh, waiting but as you said, we're going with first jobs. So yes. how random is your first job? This came from a conversation you and I had, you and I had last week where I described my first job. And you uh, you told me how jealous you are I'm of that first job. I'm still jealous of it. Like, I would still take that job to this day, Brian. You want to remind the people what your first job was? Yes. And so um, – Obviously, like sometimes you have other jobs before that, like mowing someone's lawn or this. But this is yeah, like where you're right, actually right. getting a paycheck. First job. I lived in a smaller town in New Jersey. Uh, and so there was a center of town. And one of the stores that was kind of like the hub of the center of town was the local video store. Yes. This is mid to late 90s. <clears throat> no, this is early to mid 90s when the video store was a big deal. I oh, love it. Obviously, you had Blockbuster and stuff like that, but this was the local video store. In fact, I lived – the name of my town was Long Valley, and the name of the video store was Long Valley Video. I mean, that is not – that is so quintessential, like, early 90s. I love it. As an aside, because New Jersey has this sort of um, reputation for the mob, think Sopranos and stuff. Yes. The guy who owned and ran our video store was undoubtedly connected to the mob. (gasps) No way. Yes. Yes. And uh, 
I shouldn't say that. He may not have been, but that was our running joke, and he gave many indications that he was. Hilarious. <laughs> so Hilarious. anyway, uh, that was my first job. I worked it for like two and a half years, if wow. I remember right. Maybe Faithful. Maybe a little less. Maybe like Faithful two to years. The video store. And you got to know a ton of people. That was yeah. back in the day when you had to take the the box and you had yes. to bring it up, and then we would take the box and go into go into the shelving and get the actual video. And you'd ask like they would ask. I remember for like your phone number or your member number or something, and you'd look it up and like if you had a yep. late fee, you had to pay the late fee before you. That could get was a new always one. the uncomfortable part yeah. when they brought them back late. Or they would get a late fee, or they lost the video. What about the video- please, please be kind and rewind? Did you rewind a lot of uh, tapes at your we in had- your day? You had, do you remember this? There was a whole separate machine that you stuck the video and that all yeah. it did was rewind videos. Yeah, and it did it at so like cool. lightning speed. Uh, and so it was a really fun job because everybody came to the video store. You would get here's, to know people. Oh, here's the real question, Brian. I thought this would be the perk of a video store. Did you get the movie posters? Did you get to take them home and hang them up in your room? I'll bet you I could have. I was, I was a big... Um, well, you like a sports, sports poster guy. Oh, but uh, I'll bet that you... That job they, was wasted were, on you, Brian. I, it's it, there's some truth to that. There's some truth, <laughs> but sometimes trailers would come out, and you could get the movies first. Um, and then sometimes it was just really slow, so you could watch you movies. know watch movies and do your homework or whatever. Yeah. But yes, uh, many an hour for me spent at Long Valley Video, and it was a great yeah. first job. It was yes, it was. Uh, uh, there were some issues to it. I'll tell you off the air. Do you air remember someday. what it paid? I think this is the funny part. Do you remember what your first job paid you? So when you first ask that, I feel like I may have started at like five and a quarter. Okay, I think my first job was like four twenty-five, but I lived yeah. in Oklahoma, so that I don't know if the hourly wage was different. That's true. I I could be wrong. It could have been less than that. That's what yeah. comes to mind for me. But yeah. yes, that's a. Uh, I mean, I was making pastor money at the video store. It's really good. <laughs> God was preparing you. <laughs> so then my second job, I stopped working at the video store okay. my senior year. And then I worked at like the local school after school at oh. the local after school program. So what I would Did do you? is I would leave my high school, drive over to the elementary school. And every day I would like play with kids for three hours. Well, that's a fun so it was job. like. It was like the kids whose parents, you know, had to get them after work at like 530 or six o'clock, you know. And so, yeah, yeah, that was great. That's what I did. Tell us your first job and then we'll hear from other people. Okay, so my first job, I can't remember if I was telling you this off air or if I said it on the show earlier this week, but my first job was at an ice cream store in the mall, White Mountain Creamery. Oh, that's right. And the best part about the job, I mean, one, I ate ice cream a lot. That probably wasn't good for me, but I mean, ice cream as a teenager is like the best thing ever. Absolutely. But but then the funnest part about the job is my, my friend's parents owned it. And so we would get to close with them or go in early before they open. And my friend and I would bring roller skates and roller skate through the mall. And that was like you a dream come true. Yes. And just, mall. you know, it was always kind of like as a young teenager, your fantasy, like be at the mall after it was closed. Like, yes, we actually got to do that. One time, it was a Thursday night, Beverly Hills 90210 was on. We weren't able to get home to watch it. We sat in a department store where they had a TV, and we watched Beverly Hills 90210 while her parents closed (laughs) up the shop. I'm not even joking. You just described... Every like the quintessential yeah. '90s, like it had the right. mall and yes. roller skates yes. and Beverly Hills 90210. I'm telling you, Perfect. yeah, the, 
Those were the good old days. That's yeah, for tell sure. us about yep. some other jobs okay. that people, first jobs that they had. Okay, so this one came up, and this was pro- this was ultimately a lot of our first jobs. But when you clarified, like, no, we're talking paycheck, like you're checking, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. checking out. A lot of people said babysitting, right? Of course, that yep. was many people's first job. Your wife said she worked in the children's department at J.C. Penney's, which has cracked me up. She says, I'll never forget retagging the clearance items down to less than a dollar. I felt like there were so many deals that no one knew about and were completely worthless for me. That lasted about a month. And then, this is also quintessential 90s, she was a Gap girl. She worked at the Gap. She I did. mean, and only the super cool, cute girls worked at the Gap, so well she done, Brian. Worked, she well worked done. at the Gap, and later on, she also worked at the local florist. She was a she worked oh. at the flower shop. So. Oh, that's a nice job. Okay, yep, all right. Yep, yep. Um, somebody worked at it. This is actually kind of a nice, serious job. She worked as a at a residential children's home for kids with disabilities, some who were victims of abuse. I started cleaning I started as a cleaning girl, she says, on the weekends. Then I worked in the kitchen helping cook and eventually worked directly with the children as a child care worker. Probably why I ended up going into special education. I worked there from 15 years old until the week before I got married. Whoa. I know. That's an impressive job. I know. That's an impressive job. Okay. Um, okay. Somebody else was a stock boy at the Anderson Mountains Market, which was basically a gas station. He says, I mainly stock <laughs> sodas and I bagged ice. And then our executive producer over here, Keith Conrad, this is a good one. He was a salad maker at a, gro- <laughs> at a grocery store called Albertsons. We had Albertsons in Oklahoma, uh-huh. so I know Albertsons. Uh, he, basically, he says he basically was the guy in the produce department who chopped up a bunch of various fruits and vegetables into the package they offered so they trusted me with a bunch of giant knives i was 15 (laughs) (laughs) he said i wouldn't trust myself with giant knives today so those are those are pretty you know those are pretty good first jobs right and now we have kids of that age and they're getting jobs or thinking about it like yeah you know just a couple seconds on it, it your first job and your first learning to work it's an important time of life don't you think Oh, I mean, yes, it's such an important time of life. And part of it's just even it almost doesn't matter what the job is, just that responsibility of like, okay, you need to get there on time. You need to do your work. And then you got to learn to balance your budget and you got to take care of that money. And you're going to be shocked at how much goes to the government. And, you know, I think all of those are just good life lessons to begin to learn a work ethic. We're talking with our 15 year old about, all right, as soon as you're 16, it's time to get that job. And there's a, you know, there's a dollar store down the street. We're like, Somewhere you can walk would actually be really helpful. But I keep telling him, kind of in line with the video store job, like, get a job at the movie theater. You can go see free yes. movies, get free popcorn, yes. hang out all day. See? But you, yes, you, that's an important you are time leading of him life. In, you're leading him in a good way. I, I'll close with this. I remember when our daughter worked for the first time and got her first paycheck and the look of bewilderment on her when she saw how much taxes was taken out. And I said... <laughs> I said, sweetie, you, you are now understanding the world of an adult. You are oh, now. And she was like, so terrible. I'll never forget. She was like, why do they get all of this? So like, I'm <laughs> the one who worked. And I said, there you yep. go. Welcome. Yep. Welcome yep. to the world, my dear. Yep. Well, glad that we could do that next week. Join us on the social media water cooler and we'll read the best responses. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined 
by the executive director for Hopeful Beginnings. Her name is Natalie Rodriguez. Natalie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Brian. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, we're so glad to have you back. You've been with us before, but for people who haven't heard you before, remind us, tell us about Hopeful Beginnings. What is it that you guys do? Tell us about Hopeful Beginnings. Sure. So Hopeful Beginnings, we are a 501c3. We are located in Palatine, Illinois. Our agency does many things to support families and mothers. Uh, We work in the field of adoption, options counseling. We also provide free counseling for women experiencing postpartum depression, grief and loss of a baby, or difficulty transitioning to motherhood. That's fantastic, Natalie. And you know, Mother's Day obviously is coming up this weekend, so we all have we all have I think a few things on our minds. One, how we celebrate our moms, but also how do we support moms who are hurting or moms mm-hmm. who are struggling or moms just going through a hard time? Talk to us about what Hopeful Beginnings does for moms after birth and and just to continue to support moms. Sure. Yeah. Mother's Day is such a special time of year for us here at Hopeful Beginnings because it allows us to celebrate all kinds of mothers, mothers who are actively parenting, mothers who have placed their babies for adoption, mothers who have become mothers through adoption. Um, But we really, really hold close to our heart those mothers who have just given birth Um, because that's such a special time of life for a woman. That's the process that makes you a mother. And we really keep in mind um, the woman's emotional needs during that period, because Mm. as we know, birth triggers all kinds of hormones, joy, sadness. Um, Basically, you as a woman, you're born, you know, that's, Mm. that's how you become who you are as a mother. Uh, But also we keep in mind the physical care, right? Um, Our bodies go through a lot to create those babies. So we really need to make sure uh, we as a community are are taking care of those women after birth. That's great. Natalie, uh, thinking about the emotional um, changes and the things going on post-birth, what are the things that you guys offer? Is it counseling? Is it support groups? What are the things that you guys at Hopeful Beginnings actually do for moms? Yeah, thanks for asking. So we do offer free individual counseling. And what I love about Hopeful Beginnings is um, we know that insurance is a very complicated uh, process in this country. So Hopeful Beginnings, because we are a nonprofit and we do fundraising and we have our grants, uh, we're able to offer women free counseling on an individual basis. So like a doctor's office, we use the Edinburgh Depression Scale to kind of gauge, you know, is mom experience? Experiencing some postpartum depression? Is there some anxiety happening? Um, does mom just need some help figuring out, you know, how to balance life after baby? Or we offer um, support groups, which is great for moms who maybe don't have a lot of family support, maybe are far away from family, um, or just transitioning, you know, to new kinds of friendships after becoming a mother. So we offer currently a virtual support group, and we're looking towards summer and being able to offer those support groups in person. That's fantastic. And, and, and Natalie, um, 
Tell us a little bit about your story. How did you get involved with Hopeful Beginnings? Yeah, so Hopeful Beginnings, really, God put me on this path, the right opportunity at the right time, right? Um, As many of your listeners are familiar with Joanne Brada, she decided Mm -hmm. she was Mm -hmm. at the point in her career where she wanted to retire. And after being at home as a mother and a working professional with three little ones during COVID, I really decided I needed a change in direction. Um, So Joanne found me and Hopeful Beginnings was a perfect fit because I am so passionate about supporting other mothers and um, breakfast turned into a board interview and the rest (laughs) is history. It's amazing how those journeys work, right? Uh, Natalie, obviously in the news right now, a lot of talk about abortion, a lot of talk about adoption, uh, and it's only going to get ramped up. And I'm sure you guys are at the middle of that right now. Let's talk about adoption uh to the people out there who might be abortion minded or might not know the outlets help moms out there and dads understand the the adoption um you know, pathway that they have and and how they can even begin that pathway. Sure. So adoption is a very beautiful process. And I will say it has changed a lot throughout the the years. Um, A lot of people still have that picture of what happens on TV, right? The orphanage and the room with Mm. babies. Mm. That is very far from the truth these days. So at Hopeful Beginnings, um, we work with both moms who are pregnant and, you know, It's just not the time in life for them to to parent. Um, So we support them on that journey of, you know, choosing a family that they feel would be best for their child. Um, Hopeful Beginnings only facilitates open adoptions. What that means is it's not co-parenting, but it means um, the pregnant woman chooses the family um, that she would like to place her baby with. And there is some kind of communication throughout the years, whether that be visits, whether that be letters, photos. That's really decided on an individual basis. But we do a lot of education and we help facilitate that process. And it's so important because we know that's what's best for children. Mm -hmm. It's not what's most comfortable for ourselves as adults, but we really know it helps adoptive children um, mitigate some of those identity issues, right? They know their full story of, you know, who was the woman who gave me life? Who are the parents who are raising me? And how did my story come about? So, um, yeah, it's beautiful process. It's like no other. Um, but we are so fortunate to, um, be a part of it for people, for those who are interested in an adoption, um, to expand their families. We also work with those families and it is a process. It is a journey. It's not the easy journey, um, but we definitely, definitely can help those who are are seeking to grow their families. And Natalie, we've talked about a lot of the resources that you have in the world, but how can our listeners find out more like moms who are are interested, adopted or who want support or just want to hear more about uh, Hopeful Beginnings? Where can they begin? Absolutely. So you can always get a hold of us through calling our office, which is 847-870-8181. So if you are a pregnant woman um, interested in more information about adoption, you will be patched through to one of our social workers 24 hours a day. Um, you can also go to our website, which is freecounselingnow.com. Um, there's a little form. You can get more information, whether you are interested in adopting, counseling, whatever your specific needs are. 
Again, that is freecounselingnow.com. We'd encourage people to go check that out. Natalie Rodriguez is the executive director for Hopeful Beginnings. And let me ask real fast as we close, Natalie, how can people support you guys? How can people, I'm sure there's a lot going on right now, obviously, as we were just discussing. And people might be like, I want to support somebody helping babies, helping moms. Uh, What are ways people can support Hopeful Beginnings? Absolutely. So we are a nonprofit, so we do depend on donations. So you can go to our website, freecounselingnow.com and and donate to the cause. We also have, for your local listeners, a walk for Hopeful Beginnings on May 22nd at Twin Lakes here in Palatine, Illinois. Great. Matt, Natalie Rodriguez, again, is the executive director for Hopeful Beginnings. Natalie, thanks for all you do and thanks for spending some time with us today. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Aubrey. Thanks, Natalie. Absolutely. Brian, uh, you know, it seems like since I started the show, we've we've been talking COVID pretty much That's nonstop. Right. And then I think you and I kind of decided we were done talking about COVID. But <laughs> the crazy thing is I, I know like 10 people with COVID right now. Now, it's not terrible, but right. there are more. In fact, I, I'm speaking an event later tonight in Wheaton and uh uh, many of the women that were coming have not been able to come now because of COVID. So yeah, I feel like it's everywhere again. What's happening? It's really true. It's true. My my daughter was at an event with, not an event, just like a gathering with a bunch of girls the other day. And two of them have COVID. And it's weird. Like, you, you don't know. Because you're kind of like, yeah, look at this. We understand it's going to go up and down, up and down. So you want to like be like, Ugh, I don't know. We've got COVID. Yeah. still here. But then you also want to celebrate. People seem to be doing fine with it. Like That's it doesn't true. seem to be. And you just want to go, well, let's take the positive approach to this. Yeah. Like, d- I understand there are still people hospitalized. There are still people dying. But talking collectively, I heard just the other day, hospitalizations and deaths are at its lowest spot since this whole thing started. Two I mean, that's great years ago. Yeah, and so we want to celebrate news. that. But you are absolutely right that I've heard more people in the last week or two with it than the last couple months. That's for sure. Yeah, it's it's wild. So uh, New York Times put out a report yesterday said that the death toll during pandemic far exceeded the totals reported by countries. That's from the World Health Organization. Nearly 15 million more people died during the first two years of the pandemic than would have been expected during normal times, the organization found. The previous count of virus deaths from countries reporting was 6 million. So basically they're Mm. saying it looks like the actual deaths were in excess from what was actually reported. I'm I'm not sure why, but anyway, all that to say, uh, you're right. We need to focus on the positive because this thing was very, very serious and very, very deadly for a very long time. It took way more lives than necessary. And so to think like, okay, maybe now we're in a position where at least the majority of people who get COVID feel bad and then they're okay. That's good news. Like that's where we want to be compared to where we've been over the past two years. That's right. Um, So, Brian, there's some other interesting things happening in the news that I I just sort of wanted to get your opinion on. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so they're all a little bit connected. Not not, Well, let me just read them to you, and then we can have a conversation. But um, so, you know, the Methodist Church over the past several years has been debating about the ordination and marriage of LGBTQ. That's right. And uh, it was voted down a few years ago. But essentially now there's been a church split. This was over at Religion News uh, Service. It basically said that there has now been like a, a schism or a denominational split 
where now there's a new United Methodist Church uh, who is affirming, open, etc. And then the others that have stayed like more traditional marriage, etc. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's so that's kind of a new thing that has happened just very, very recently, where before the United Methodist Church stayed united over this issue, even if people disagreed, now there's actually been a, a new denomination. So a church yeah. split, which, you know, is never that's always hard to always mm-hmm. hard to think about when there's been like a denominational split. Then interestingly, Brian, kind of in a related thing, Christianity Today reported that the Church of Scotland um basically says that they're ready to approve same sex marriage. And so uh, what we're seeing, I think, is a pattern, perhaps, of what feels like is going to be happening more and more and more, where churches or denominations that have traditionally not affirmed same-sex marriage or uh, LGBTQ ordination Mm -hmm are now going that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, even in like the States, are we going to see, you know, even in maybe more traditional or conservative denominations, like not mainline ones, but are are there going to be splits there as well? Like, are we going to see a a schism in the evangelical church and the Baptist church, you know, what have you? I think we are. Yeah. And then what do we do about that? Really? Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is going to be a topic that splits denominations, that splits churches, that yeah. splits. Uh, and I don't know that that's wrong. Like I, right. this is, if you feel passionately about this, I think we could say that you know um, that these are worthy to split over. I would say what I think is also going to happen, Aubrey, and I think we already see happening is I think these splits are going to happen. You're going to have your very progressive churches and your yeah. conservative churches are going to get more conservative. Your progressive churches are going yeah. to get more progressive. Yeah. I actually think both of them are going to grow. Like you see some really conservative mm-hmm. churches really growing right now because That's they're true. like, we're sticking to the, you know, and you're like, right? they're growing over their conservatism. But what's going to be interesting is I don't know what the middle is going to look like anymore. Right, right. Uh, and I think you and I both probably feel like we long to have churches in the middle Absolutely. wrestling with stuff. And, Absolutely. And I don't know that that much the way that doesn't exist in our politics anymore. Mm-hmm. You could see a trajectory of churches and denominations and whatever else where that middle doesn't exist anymore either. And I'm not sure I'm not, I say, I'm not sure. I don't think that's a good thing. Yeah. And so you're going to have the really progressive denominations and churches. You're going to have the really conservative churches. And I feels like churches are going to need to make a call one way or the other. And I think, uh, you know, you and I are probably like, I don't want to have to plant my flag firmly only with these people or only with these people. So I think it's going to be, I think what you're, you've described on these stories, I think it's here, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's going to be good Mm-mm. for the church going forward, at least in our country, for sure. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Brian. And I mean, I guess I, you know, I guess I am thinking about this from a church leader perspective is like, yeah, if you have to sort of plant your flag because if people are going to be wanting to know one way or the other, but you're like, look, we're we're doing our best to have nuanced conversations and stay biblically faithful and, and you know, be progressive where we feel like God says be mm-hmm. progressive, be traditional where God says be traditional. You're, I don't think that's going to like be super attractive to a lot of people except for a small part of the population. And maybe that's okay. I mean, maybe what you're saying is like, 
this is one of those things that we're not going to change the tide. This is what's going to happen. And we just have to keep being faithful as we can in our local communities to to serve God and serve our neighborhoods. And there's not much else we can do besides that. Yeah, I think my worry is just like in politics, we have said – what, what have we said has changed politically in the last couple decades, right? We've gone from disagreeing to seeing the other person as the enemy. Right. So now we're not Americans who disagree about this issue, but we're ultimately united as Americans. Yeah. Instead, I'm a Republican, and you as a Democrat are the person I need to defeat. I'm a Democrat. Right. You as a – so it's that enemy uh, – you can already see that in the church. Yeah. Hey, no, I'm a conservative Christian and you progressive Christian are the enemy. Right. As opposed to I fundamentally disagree with you on a lot of things, but mm-hmm. let's talk about it. And mm-hmm. we might end up on different teams even in, in, you know, I might not be able to look at you and be like, oh, yeah, we're both Christians. But yeah, it's this this adversarial relationship that says that church up the road is our, we've got to strike them. And it's like this infighting between the conservatives and the progressives that's already happening that I think is going to mirror the politics of our country that says Mm. you're the enemy. And you're like, really, Mm. is that really the fight here? Or is Mm. it's kind of how we talked about the other day. And that causes us to lose mission, lose kind of the bigger picture. I think that's our, I almost said that's coming. I think it's already here and only going to get worse. I think it is. And so it does seem like it's going to be our, a a lot. There's going to, we're going to need a lot of wisdom, a lot of Christ likeness and a lot of willingness to sort of stand firm, even when we're being pulled to like choose a side, like, no, we're we're choosing a different way, which is like nuance and civility and things in Jesus' name, but obviously standing for what we think is right. So anyway, That's it's right. going to be really interesting, Brian, over the next few years. We are thrilled to be joined by Bishop Dr. Michael Love. He's a senior pastor for Trinity Baptist Community Church. He's the co-chair of the Fox Valley Spiritual Council, the executive chaplain of the McHenry County Sheriff's Department. You have a long title there, Dr. Love. (laughs) He also serves on the Board of Trustees for Judson University, and we are welcoming him to talk about a prayer breakfast they have coming up. Dr. Love, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Aubrey. Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. It's good to be with you. We're so glad to have you. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about the history of the prayer breakfast at Judson University? Yeah, uh, my understanding is that this was uh, this was started uh, back in 1989 by uh, by uh, D. Ray D. Ray Wilson, uh, who had a heart for his community there and mm. wanted to really bring the community together in prayer. And yeah. we've uh, we've joined alongside with Judson, uh, the Love Family Christian Foundation, and the Spiritual Council that we have working uh, with Judson and the Fox Valley leaders in the Fox Valley to, to uh, look to enhance it to to magnify it and to bring community leaders together and individuals and families together at a time of prayer, particularly in the season that we're in, uh, you know, nationwide and community-wide. We wanted to bring the community together, uh, prayer, fellowship, and certainly as we focus in on defining our purpose clearly. So we're just happy to be able to come together and do it at Judson University. Yeah, and we're so excited about it, especially today being the National Day of Prayer. It seems like a great time to talk about this. And Dr. Love, this might seem like a really basic question, but I think it gets at the heart of it. Why is it so important that we are prayerful now? Why why do we want to be calling Christians and churches to prayer specifically in this time? 
Oh, that's such a great question, Brian. It really is. I'll, I'll try to be brief on that one. That, that one requires almost a sermon. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, it does. There you, go. <laughs> no, you take your time. You preach to us. <laughs> I won't preach today. <laughs> but but with with all that is going on in in our in our society and all that we're seeing, particularly dealing with this audience of of young people in the university setting, who in so many campuses are being indoctrinated and being pulled into so many secular humanistic uh, venues. We need uh, we need a light on the hill type of setting. We need a mm. university that stands for Christ, Christ-centered, Bible-focused, and is a, and is a preaching the you know it's basically instilling in these young people as they we look to shape their lives and shape them for the future to be leaders, going out into this world setting because the spiritual warfare is a uh, is live and well, mm. and we yeah. need to be strongly and well represented out there. So we this is our this is our way of trying to have impact. And, and train up future leaders to go out here and, and be able to discern the information that's coming at them from so many different corridors. Mm. And, and, and we, through all of that, all of that mess, all of that background noise is happening and bring truth to light on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh, this is sorry. our part. This is a piece of what we love to do here. The uh, 2022 Community Prayer Breakfast is happening on May 11th at 7.30 a.m. Tickets are $30. You can get your ticket by going to judsonu.edu today. And Dr. Love, you know, for people who are interested in joining with the prayer breakfast and praying, maybe they can't actually attend, but they want to be praying for this community. They want to be praying for the next generation. What should be on their prayer lists right now? Now, that's a that's a really good question also. Um, when we think about the people who are leading our children, uh, the, the leaders of these universities, and particularly the Judson University, University uh, the, the leadership and the faculty, all the staff, we certainly want to be lifting them up that they're able to stand strong, they're able to be clear-minded, uh, Bible-focused, and sharing out those principles that are, are so, co- so key and core to, uh, to our being, to our service here. Uh, as they as they share that out, that they can be consistent with that, and then with mm-hmm. our students, that they'll they'll be able to receive that, uh, and uh, and understand it clearly, over and against all of the background noise that they're getting, and and be able to walk away with a a clear sense of who they are, mm-hmm. a clear sense of what their purpose might be as they walk away from the to graduate from the university, mm-hmm. and how that fits into God's plan for their life, so that they so that they can make a difference when they go out there. Yeah. That's good. Again, you could join, join hundreds of leaders gathering on May 11th uh, at Judson University at 7.30 a.m. You could get tickets at judsonu.edu. That's judsonu.edu. Uh, and, and I see that the, the speaker, the, the keynote speaker, is going to be the president of Chief Incorporated Reverend Huron Klaus. Can you tell us about, uh, about Reverend Klaus, uh, who will be doing the keynote speaking that day? What, they've, what, they've, what I've shared with him, I can't wait to meet him because he's, he's such a fascinating individual. And they've indicated that he's a fifth-generation follower of Jesus Christ. And oh, wow. My notes, yeah, my notes say that he comes from the Mohawk, Kiowa, I might mis- mispronounce that, mm-hmm. tribes in New, New York and Oklahoma. Oh, cool. Says the Klaus Indian family has ministered through evangelism and music and native communities and villages across North, Central, and South America. Wow. One of the things that fascinates me is that I've I've got a I got one of my ministers in my church has been uh, and his wife have been doing ministry to Native Americans and and indigenous people throughout throughout Canada in some of those areas, and it actually knows him has worked alongside him in years past. Wow! 
So I'm really excited to get a chance to spend some time with him and hear how God is moving his heart and having impact through his ministry over the years and in the future. Oh, yeah, that sounds fantastic. Again, you can join hundreds of leaders gathering on May 11th at Judson University, 7.30 a.m. for this breakfast by going to judsonu.edu. Again, that's judsonu.edu. And Dr. Love, you have a lot of things going on. You're the pastor of a church. You've got this spiritual council. (laughs) Can you just tell us a little bit about your ministry as well? Yeah, I'd love to do that. You know, one of the things we're, we're part, the Love Family Christian Foundation is, is, is our 501c3 that we're partnering with Judson uh, for the event here. And uh, the Spiritual Council is one of those partnerships that we have. And we bring together uh, on a regular basis, uh, at least four times a year, leaders up and down the Fox Valley, spiritual leaders up and down the Fox Valley, to come together to pray and to speak into and to serve and to uh, fellowship together. We, we look to do three things to that council. We look to find ways to connect leadership, spiritual leadership, up and down the Fox Valley, uh, to co- have them have us communicate together what God is doing in our various villages and cities and do some best practices and benchmark some of the works that are going on and then find ways that we can collaborate together. How can we, how can we bring the vision that God has given each and every one for city reaching to the table and share some of those best practices so that we might be able to do some of these things in some mm-hmm. of the other cities and be effective with that and then come together around like around the, the, the prayer breakfast and and uh, and support each other in that process. So that's that's one of our outreach pieces there. Yeah, that we're so excited about. Yeah, awesome. you definitely have a lot of things going right yes, now. You it's do. very impressive. And Dr. Love, as as we close up, I, I would uh, you're clearly someone who has a passion for for the next generation. You have a passion for the community, doing a lot of things. And I would just love to ask you this question: uh, Are you hopeful for the church? Are you hopeful for where the church is heading for for Christianity, if you will, in our community? Because, like we said, there's a lot going on culturally right now. So, mm-hmm. as you look at the landscape, are you hopeful? I am. I am, Brian. I'm absolutely hopeful. You know, the, again, the hope, when, when you put your hope in Christ and you know, you know how the story ends, That's right. <laughs> then we can, we can not only go out there with, uh, not on our own purpose, we can go out there fulfilling the purpose God has called mm. us to and doing the kingdom work that he's placed before. Amen. It's very much like what you're doing with your programming here. It is reaching audiences, I mean, just across the vast national landscape and having impact. And so anytime that we have an opportunity to share the good news of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, anytime we can get out there and fellowship together, communicate together, collaborate together, and strengthen each other, support each other in the process, then we know God will use whatever the the seed Mm. that we plant Mm. to bring about the increase that he has has purposed for our lives. So I'm always excited about it, even in the midst of when it seems like the battle is tough. Hmm. Mm, Amen. That's a good word for all of us. Bishop Dr. Michael Love is a senior pastor of Trinity Baptist Community Church. He's a co-chair of the Fox Valley Spiritual Council, executive chaplain of the McHenry County Sheriff's Department. He also serves on the board of trustees for Judson. And once again, we want to invite you along with him to join hundreds of leaders gathering on May 11th at Judson University, 730 a.m. for this prayer breakfast. Tickets are $30 and you can get yours by going to judsonu.edu. Again, that's judsonu.edu. Dr. Love, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. You have a great day. You God too. bless you all. You too. Brian, it's the end of the show. And at the end of every show, we love to bring you something encouraging, inspiring, or challenging. And Brian, if I was going to ask you like a big life question, like what 
are people searching for today? And I don't mean like what are they going online searching for? I like in their souls. Yeah. What do you think people are searching for? Yeah, a couple words come to mind. I think people are searching for purpose and meaning. Like what mm-hmm. is what's the point of all of this? Yeah. Uh, I think people are searching for joy. Like mm. what actually brings me satisfaction? So I think that's yeah. a second one. And I think people are searching for recognition. And I mean that in the sense of do people know who I am? Not recognition like yeah. awards and stuff. So those are the three that come to mind. I think those work. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think those are really I think those are really, really accurate. So uh, over at churchleaders.com, they say that people are searching for this very similar to some of the stuff you just said, Brian, uh, truth over opinions, meaning over superficiality, peace over anxiety, Mm -hmm. joy over anger and freedom over addiction. And uh, what this article is saying is that many people are deciding because they're searching for things. They're deciding if they will pursue God. They're deciding if they will trust and value church. And among them, some of them will uh, try your church and try to decide if they can find those things at your church. Peace over anxiety, truth over opinions, meaning over superficiality, joy over anger, freedom Mm. over addiction. So I I thought that was kind of an interesting conversation, Brian, because I wonder if, as you know, you and I are pastors, we've said a lot of our listeners are pastors or at least churchgoers. Do you think our churches today are being mindful of some of these things? I actually think they are. I think this actually is like good news for the church. But um, maybe just answer from your own experience, Brian, in your church, do you feel like you guys are focusing on some of these things that people are searching for? Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much front of mind focus it is. I think it's always kind of in your mind, like people are looking for something. People are mm. looking for something. Yeah. I don't know that we're sitting back whiteboarding going, how do right. we orient this so people's purpose? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and maybe that needs to happen. But I think certainly, I mean, you think about this when you're writing a sermon or something. Yeah. These kinds of questions are front of mind. Like, absolutely. People, people are lonely. People need this. People are searching. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's certainly front of mind. So over at this article, Dan Ryland is saying that there are five essentials that churches need to consider if they want to thrive um, kind of in the culture with what people are searching for. And he says, one, we need churches that have a spirit of grace and kindness that permeates the entire culture. So it's not just like preach from the pulpit, but it's the overall tone of the community Mm. within the church. And he says part of that is because the, the culture is so divisive that people want to find something different in the church, right? Like kindness, grace, et cetera. Um, Two, they say an embracing of biblical truth over popular opinion. Hmm. So uh, this, this author is saying that what he hears people say is, I don't know who or what to believe. And so the church can be a place that offers, you know, solutions based on scripture's infallible truth rather than just on opinions. Mm. Um, Three, he says a place to belong rather than merely attend. I think this goes back to what you were talking about. Like people want to know that they're recognized. People want to know that they're known really. And Mm -hmm. so the church can create a a space of belonging where everyone is known and everyone has an opportunity to know each other. And like in an intimate way, not, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, to help people break out of their loneliness. This one I thought was interesting, Brian. He says that for a church to thrive, Global matters, but local is home. He says a global awareness and focused efforts in different parts of the world is undoubtedly an important biblical value for us 
uh, it really matters. But there's something powerful about faith in our own backyard. And he says, what is your church's plan to meet the needs of your community? Um, And then the last one, fifth, unified around a purpose rather than divided by agenda. And I think that goes back to some of what you're saying is people want to know what their purpose is. So do any of those five kind of uh, ways that the church needs to thrive, do any of those stand out to you? You know which one did? Because a lot of them make a lot of sense to me, but almost what we talked about earlier about the kind of progressive and conservative split Mm, that we foresee. Yeah. Because the one that was interesting to me there is that people are increasingly wanting clarity. Uh, What does the Bible say about this? Yeah. Um, And I think think that is that more conservative bent that we're talking about. People Mm -hmm. going, man, everything is up for grabs right now. Help me understand what the Bible says. And then let's stick to it. Yeah. And then let's do this. There's another wing going. We can't trust the Bible. It doesn't matter what the Bible is, whatever. And so I do think this gets at what we were discussing earlier, that there are a a lot of people going um, amidst all the craziness around us. What's the Bible say? Help me understand that. And then will we actually stick to it and believe it um, even against what our culture is saying? I think they're onto something there. And I think that's kind of what we were talking about before. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me, Brian. I feel like we, we talk about stories like this every once in a while in the common good. And what it seems like kind of the quote unquote church experts are calling people to is literally just like read your Bible, teach your mm-hmm, Bible, mm-hmm. pray, love your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, somehow it seems like we've we've lost our focus and we've lost our way so that that very like basic foundational thing should just be very obvious. But we're having to say it again and again and again. Hey, let's lift up the word of God as the the like way that we follow Let's love our neighbors and uh, let's pray a lot. And like, that's church. That's a Mm. thriving church. I mean, it's just interesting to me. It feels like we're kind of going to like basic fundamentals again, because I think we've forgotten how important these things are in a culture that feels, you know, a culture that is, you're right, is like wondering what is true. What is dependable? Where can I belong? Like, does the church, does the gospel actually make a difference in someone's life and in someone's community? So to go back to those things that feel very essential and obvious, or maybe not as obvious as they used to be. And it's just, I think this is a really important call for all of us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as followers of Jesus. Yeah. And I think this is just where the church is heading right now. Like you got, you know, I think it's people saying I'm uncomfortable with where the direction of our world is. Mm. Uh, Give me a firm foundation to hold Mm. on to help me understand scripture, help me understand the hope. um, And then let's live it out together. Let's actually live this out. Yeah, that's a good word for all of us. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.